Special guest is in here. Seth, the house. Seth, what happened to your voice? What happened to that voice, Seth? <laughs> Sounds like you like you vape every day. Those eerie boys got to stop the vaping. I know. No, no, you're right there. Yo, what's up, everybody? Yo, what's up? Um, it's Big Nate. Before I say anything, I just just want to talk about some yeah some blasphemy. Yeah, I've heard in the past few days. Blasphemy. Um, Tim made me. Seth is just <laughs> jumping straight up and down behind us. Freaking He's very out. excited. He's Tim, just jumping. Tim made me aware of some news yesterday. Um, That's right. That people send in emails to Voxology, and yeah. they're only about Seth. They're they're addressed. Yeah. No, they're addressed to Seth. Either about and, Seth or to Seth. You know, I get it. All right, Seth lives in this house and he's here more and yeah. he's on the podcast more but like guys come on we all know i'm your favorite and i i've been on the intro a few times i have my own theme song like at this point i feel like you guys should just take a little Include attention date. away from seth's cute face and i get it i'm older i'm in college like whatever but i need to be validated so you guys better start sending these emails Oh, it's, it's not going to end well for this podcast. I oh. will personally wow. take revenge. I will make my own podcast. It'll be oh, the, wow. You'll expose. You expose the, us. Uh, um, the I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The Noxology <laughs> podcast because it's a knockoff. And I will. Oh, I like that. Noxology. I'm, I'm not. I'm just kidding, guys. I love it. But, Nate. Okay, Tim. Hate that. Savage no, Nate. No, no, no. too. <laughs> I was a little offended, but yeah, it's all right. Of course. You're not as cute. I'm not as I'm not as cute, <laughs> right? I'm not, obviously, I'm not as appealing. I mean, Sefi, let's hear that voice, yeah, dude. Yeah, just talk. Yeah. Oh, guess what? What? Tim, he did what? And they too. And they too. <laughs> Seth Erie sounds like he's been smoking twelve packs a day <laughs> right now. <laughs> you gotta cut that kid off. What? You want me to say it? Hit the theme song. Nah, Seppi, I got beef with you. Man. Everybody likes you more. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> All right, listen. I only say this if you guys start sending emails. Okay, let's do it. Here we go. You ready? All right, yeah! I'll send you an email. You ready, Tim? Yep. Yeah. Hit my theme song. What's up, everybody? You know what time it is. It's Nate. Play my theme song. Yeah. It's a boy. Come on, please. Drum roll, please. <laughs> There, there it was, please. ladies and gentlemen. Yes, yes. It's like there are these, I, I don't know, there are these cigarette, anti-cigarette commercials of like someone talking out of a hole in their throat. Yeah. I mean, he sounds like straight from that ad copy. Yeah. yeah. And then and then Nate's just sort of standing behind me going, okay, I'm waiting. There aren't any emails yet. He's, <laughs> Nate's not going to like the emails that come in. Now. Yeah. I <laughs> Oh, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Voxology Podcast. Man, we are so excited to be with you today. And and as always, just super, super humbled to be a part of your life. Uh, today, we've got a couple of things. First, I want to just say thank you to Amanda. I want to thank you to Tabor for coming on our support teams. Um, there are different ways that you can support the podcast, and, and it's it's unbelievable that people do this. I also want to say thank you to FG. 
So FG probably stands for Franklin Graham. And so doing? I just want to say thank you. Franklin Graham, finally. Yes. Thanks We've for been, the support. Yes, thank you for the support. No, but seriously, we, we are a crowdfunded community, and it's astounding the OG, uh, that FG. so many of you are a part of this. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, obviously, we'll use some of that uh, some of that funding for Seth's of vocal recovery. That's right. He's got to go to smoking rehab. Smoking rehab, ladies and gentlemen. Holy moly. Um, today, we've got an interview with a couple of guys. I, I just discovered that it's... Um, International Podcast Day, so right. um, the only thing better than than two men talking about what they think is four men talking about what they think. Right. So we've got uh, Matt and Ben from Gravity Leadership Podcast. They just wrote a book called Having the Mind of Christ, which is kind of an interesting take on what it looks like to sort of reconstruct and uh, thought it was worth a conversation with them. But before we get to those guys... Timothy, we got, like, can we read the subject line from this one? Yeah, we can. We got an email that just says, Mike and Tim, I want to quit. And our response was, you should. <laughs> and that was the end of the email. No, that no, was there, was, there was a just a really powerful email attached to that subject line. Yeah, we got this email from um, a listener who has been uh, the teaching pastor in their community since the start of 2021 was a college pastor before that. And he has been listening to this podcast, Gombus, and kind of trying to navigate the kind of the uncertainty of the church over the last few years and mm -hmm. um, looking to provide something that's, you know, in his words, truly sacrificial, truly beautiful, truly healing, truly hospitable for those in the world, uh, for those the world would just rather forget. But he yeah. says, however, in my community, there has been an influx of new LGBTQA plus folks, which I am absolutely stoked about. Some came from a truly messy recent church past where they attempted to press their community to be solely affirming. And our attempt to hold a neither affirming nor non-affirming stance of mutual honor at Christ's table, there are a small handful now pressing a narrative in the community, framing it as an issue of affirmation equals equity and anything else equals dishonest, hurtful, unjust, unequal, yeah. um, etc. Yeah. So he says, I don't want to drag this out more than it needs to be other than to say I've worked really hard to make my faith and my willful acts of other-oriented love and care not be undermined by a set of cold doctrinal uncertainties. Mm -hmm. I've enjoyed my life as a pastor where I was able to, until recently, uh, to have a hierarchy of values that allowed my treatment and actions and words to align with how Christ called me to behave, even when there might be internal tensions about choices in their lives. For so much of my spiritual development, it was the opposite. People in positions of power justifying mistreatment and exclusion based on a reading of the text completely lacking a hermeneutic of compassion. That reality cost me one pastoring job, because he mm. said he wouldn't sign the Nashville Statement. Mm. Now I wonder in my inability to acquiesce to the virtue signaling, grandstanding, and damaging narrative of liberal progressive judgments with which my current moment is being framed is going to cost me this one. So mm. kind of the tug from the other side of the fence. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I guess I don't have much of a question other than I'm feeling so damn hopeless and my stomach is in knots most of the time thinking of my work. It's hard to even fathom a place where that sort of vision for the church is broadly championed. You know, I also know the crows are coming home to roost for a church that has invested in its own immoral complacency. 
And maybe some churches just need pastors to act as corporate hospice. I don't know. Hmm. So if I had one question, it would be this. If a church is longing to go the route of the pragmatic, picking full soul affirmation of the range of LGBTQ plus issues rather than dying on a hill of idealism and holding tension together. Um, if that root of pragmatic is a faithful response to leave and stand in my convictions and conscience, or is it more loving and faithful to set down my insistence on or convictions to the ideal for my loving care and pastoral need of people I love? Both are issues of conscience and love and mm. vision for me. I see a lot of evidence in both in the life of Jesus, choosing mm. to be with the reality in front of him at the cost of his own reputation Mm-hmm. And as a matter of enveloping the unclean to make it clean, and then also Jesus choosing not to have a panicked anxiety every time someone walked away or when he'd leave a town with some unhealed because yeah. he had a broader vision to walk towards. Yeah. So just, I mean, wow. I asked him if we could read this wow. because I think this is such a common um, a common place that a lot of pastors, right? So we've talked a lot about how the last four years, a percentage of people that left the pastoral, you know, vocation, it was like 37% to 40%. Yeah. It's a huge turnover and almost all of it has come from different versions of this, right? Different versions of uh, a willingness or an unwillingness to acquiesce to congregational demands or cultural demands or whatever. So, yeah, that would be good. He, we, we interacted back and forth a little bit and there's one other thing that he shared, um, Mm that I thought was really, was a powerful um, kind of metaphor as he talked about, he was talking with a mentor and um, let's see if I can, uh, he said, my spiritual mentor said today that that, that's what peacemakers do. That's what peacemakers do. They get crucified Mm. as he held his hands out to both sides, visualizing holding tension. And that's why scripture says they will be called the sons and daughters of God. And that's a, we've seen that, right? We've seen a lot of that with the, you know, something I've held that you said a couple of years ago was the difference between peacekeepers and peacemakers. And I've, mm. I've like, that was a very helpful definition that I've kind of held with mm-hmm. a lot of topics. Like, what does it mean to make peace? And what does it mean to keep peace? And so you mm. see that a lot in this email where there is an invitation for pastors. I think he called it the corporate hospice. Mm. to keep the peace Mm. and i think elder boards are kind of pushed that too right like this is well there's a financial incentive to do it exactly and so being a peacemaker ending in crucifixion yeah i mean history is riddled with that well there's good crucifixion and and then martyrdom and so we're not looking we're not looking for martyrs right yeah um because the the hey i'm gonna die on this hill and and that's that's why i love um our brother here is wrestling in this very real tension. Yes. Because, I mean, there obviously you could deal with the real and the pragmatic and, and go on. Um, so, so Tim, I, oh, I, I, there isn't anybody better on the planet for someone like that to interact with than you. Because you live in the middle of all of that, yes. you know, too, personally. And, and in, in the stuff that you're doing with your micro community and I just, you know. I, I uh, you're so compassionate. Um, and so thank you for responding to him. And I want to thank this person, uh, the writer of just the sharing 
the absolute and utter like end of the ropeness of this yeah. moment. Um, and I have no advice. I have a way of looking at it. If I were in, because I have been in different situations, um, how I would look at it. Um, and not that I would know exactly what to do. But I only suggest this as um, a potential, like one piece of data in a much larger puzzle to be put together. Because um, I, I, I have wrestled with very similar things that our, our community, we started a community out of the podcast called uh, Vox OC that's still going because the people there are amazing. Um, uh, and we had a... a a crew of people there who were LGBTQ plus affirming. And we had a crew of people there who were not. And uh, that was one of the central tenets of our like organizing is that the table has to be the place where Simon the Zealot and uh, Matthew the tax collector, in uh, any other circumstance, they would be mortal enemies. But here they allow room for the other. Right. And the only rule we had about hospitality was if anybody insists the table can only be for people who agree with them, then, um, then, then we start pushing, pushing back. So on either side of that, if we're holding, trying to hold two things in tension, if, if somebody, because there were people who would press me into, well, um, right. I think these people are in sin, and I think you're in sin for allowing them to serve and take communion and whatever. Um, then great. that They're not willing to live in the tension of a community that is working it out with fear and trembling. But I also had folks coming from another point of view that said anything less than full public acceptance is injustice. Anything less than that. And the only people we want, I mean, because what they're saying is the only people we want at the table are people that affirm um, LGBTQ plus people. Um, and I couldn't commit to that in the same way. And so to me, it wasn't an ideal I was dying on. It was the practice of hospitality that I see central to the ministry of Jesus. Yeah. That, that Jesus didn't agree with Simon um, the zealot, nor did he agree with Matthew, the tax collector, but he offered instead something so compelling that caused them to set aside the natural differences that they would have. That, that by the way, the, those differences provoked a war in 40 years. I mean, these are not like, hey, we disagree politically. This is like zealots became assassins and would uh, murder Roman officials and tax gatherers um, within, you know, 30 years of, of the table of Jesus. So this isn't some like, hey, you know, we're talking about real harm. No, this was like real harm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so my encouragement to those of us who find ourselves pressed um, to shape the table towards the whim of one part of the community or another uh, is a simple and joyful noncompliance with those requests. Uh, that central to being the church is living with people who really disagree. Now, there are instances of real harm and that the table has to be guarded, right? If somebody, if somebody popped up at a communion service and shouted, um, you know, how much God hated gay people and they weren't welcome to the kingdom, well, that, 
that person's got to do some repenting before they're they're welcomed back with the same hospitality they initially received. Right. right. Likewise, if someone is an abuser, verbally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, sexually, right? Like they're welcome at the table of Jesus, but we're gonna put we're gonna put guardrails around our right. table to protect people. So there are instances where disagreements produce uh, very deep and real harm, and I don't want to ever minimize that. Right. But I also think there are disagreements. Uh, that have become litmus tests with certain segments. And I'm not saying, you know, this is what this person is dealing with. Right. But in my experience, there are litmus tests. It could be the Bible has to be inerrant. It could be uh, literal seven-day creation or you don't believe the Bible. It could be you got to vote Republican or you don't believe the Bible. It could be you've got to be affirming or not, you know, truly pursuing the justice of Christ or whatever. Um, I, I see re Jesus resisting all of those you-have-tos and instead inviting them all to the table. And, and being at the table means you have to make room for the other. Yeah. And I know many in the, the LGBTQ plus community would say, dude, they've done real harm. Like, right. like look at the suicide rate. Look yes. at the way that we've been kicked out of churches and homes. Um, look at, look at the, the mental health issues that are staggering yeah. you know, within our community. And for you to just sit there and say, well, there have to be other people welcome to the table too. That's easy for you. And it's an expression, Mike, of your privilege to do so. Right. Right? Yeah, and that's center of that. That's that's like the one conversation that's difficult for me always. And I think I've mentioned this before. It's just that in that affirming, non-affirming, both at the table thing, the it's always, there's still only one like group that's being othered in that conversation. Because it's not the lgbtq plus people are being are not, are not being asked to um like approve of or not approve of the straight dynamic right. it's only right. on the other side of the fence and so we are in some ways asking people to sacrifice some amount of like agency to be a part of the conversation of being welcome it's just an interesting i was teaching on the mlk speech yesterday in class and the nice. every I do it every semester that I have a dream speech and where we look at some Maya Angelou poems that she interacts mm -hmm. with that stuff but every semester I teach it something else sticks out to me in it mm. and it's just like the speech That's is cool. genius for a lot of reasons but yeah the the rhetorical construction of the actual words that he uses mm. are just mm. like they're they're mm. a next level but at the end of it he goes through the list of like protestants catholics jew gentiles as this way of talking about black and white in the in the fight between you know he just kind of riddles off these things it doesn't go into them but just kind of lists these things that everybody has a reference point to yeah and i was just struck by how tight because all the ones that he mentioned they all had like you were just saying like super violent mm -hmm. their relationships led to like extreme violence in a lot of cases war and right um just extreme othering to the point of death. Yeah. And I was like, but they're all like the ones that, you know, it's Jew Gentile. It's people that they're always really closely knit, mm -hmm. but ha drew a really sharp line in between Protestants, Catholics, like yeah, black, white, like they're such tightly close parties, but I've just, I don't know. Even it, I don't know why I bring that into this, but it struck me just the, the hard lines that we draw that lead to, 
such gnarly persecution then end up leading to really to violence a lot of the yeah. time is just kind yeah. of like a it's a overwhelming yeah history of humanity absolutely i was thinking about it like when we talk about like the moral compass of humans and how um, we invite people into christianity so they might understand morality and love and i this is a tangent now so i'll stop but I, i've been really <laughs> struck by like the idea of like what is it what is jesus advocating for who is he advocating to and what is he advocating and we've talked a lot about what true humanity looks like right and it begs a question of like can true humanity be found or experienced outside of jesus right because we were very salvation oriented that was kind of the goal but you look at gandhi or someone like that was he did he i mean he ended a war through peaceful action like that was pretty mm -hmm. human like yeah. a, a peak human kind of i don't know so yeah. it's just like what is it that we are trying to achieve in meeting <laughs> together and inviting people to a table yeah is it if it's not salvation if it is loving people and helping them into their true humanness it changes the dynamic of that invitation and then the dynamic of the conversation at the table absolutely 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 and and were the was the black community giving more than the white community absolutely yes. yep you bet you bet and the presence of the black community at the table indicted the attitudes and actions of the white yes. community so so i agree that it's not always an equal an equal share but there's no other way I know, that that's... love that love works there's just no other way yeah that's why we don't do it it's not pragmatic it's not effective right there are times we swallow injustice right for the sake of a greater whole and i know easy for me to say i i got that but when when you look at Jesus sharing meals with Pharisees and Jesus sharing meals with sinners, how was it that uh, that so many Pharisees in the Book of Acts anyway came to follow this Jesus mm -hmm. um, and and be a part of a movement that was made up of so many sinners? Right, right. I mean, it, uh, a proximity matters, and so uh, I know I don't have it perfectly figured out but i, I don't also, think anybody does i also want to just encourage this very lonely and stressed out pastor this isn't some abstract ideal like i right. i think this is the core of the kingdom yes. the welcome of the other and that means the unjust other too right mm -hmm. zacchaeus was a per, you know was a purveyor of massive injustice yeah. Right. It wasn't. You didn't wait till the abuser and the unjust person got cleaned up before right. Jesus invited them to the table. You know what I'm saying? Now that's yeah. Jesus, and I'm not. You know, in any way, shape, or form, and we're not in any way, shape, or form like able to hold all of that together in the way that he did. That would be a great conversation or podcast episode. Is just what does it mean to be Christ-like? because mm. you're not Jesus, I'm not Jesus, but we do sometimes let that filter into what it means to be a Christian and emulating yeah. Jesus, you know, I there's there's limits to that that I'm just not capable of. Totally. Is that really what I'm being called to? Yes. But I think it's interesting, like, you know, the example of Vox OC, I, I'd be curious if there's other pastors out there that would like email in and tell their stories because um, you guys were able to build that from the ground level 
Totally. And he's and, working in something that he kind of came into. And there were all kinds of weaknesses to it, too. I mean, not that we ever yeah. did it right. I got in a huge argument with a, a guy here in Tennessee who kind of represents um, training was it F, was for it parents. Huh? Was it FG? FG? No, no. Um, but But he kind of is a trainer for parents on how to respond to the LGBTQ pluses movement hmm. um, about, you know, gender identity and sexual orientation and so on. And he is a Jesus lover. He is same-sex attracted. He is a good man. But he just said, you know, we described the posture that we were trying to take. He's like, well, it just doesn't work. There's just hmm. no, you will be forced to choose. And we, he and I got in a... a, a, a kind of heated argument about that um and um he just said that he's never seen it work and i i said well yeah, until right. you've seen the kingdom then you, okay <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> mitigate the point yeah and so um i think one of the seth is doing the itsy bitsy spider this up on my head the, where the video the podcast on video would be yeah because he's tic tickling my belly his hand is just my like feet. a spider on Mike's shoulder and head right now. Oh my now. goodness, yes. Just ridiculous. Anyway, such a good question. Yeah. Please keep us posted. We'd love to hear your thoughts, um, even about this short sort of uh, conversation. Um, anyway, we want to we wanna get to the interview. So, Sethi, do you want to say yeah. goodbye to everybody? Nate! No, Nate's upstairs. Who cares about Nate? Okay. All right, let's just do Seth. Yeah. All right? Yeah, because Seth's getting all the emails. Yeah. All right. So yeah. first of all, yeah. Seth, yeah. what should we? What do you want to do today? Should we count? Should we count? Should we do, uh, should we do letters? No. Should we do... No. Should we do colors? No. What do you want to do? Um, it's, it's a Shema. Oh, we're doing the Shema again. All right. You ready? All right. Get close here. Talk into this because your voice is... Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it is. Ready? So Israel, it was not and God, heart, so Oh, we're doing the the blessing too. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Yeah. Amen. Man, Seth, you're on fire. And I'll give you peace in these days, right? Thank you guys. Thank you, Rosie. You guys are missing. We are Tim Stuff. Nate. Yeah, it's Tim Stafford, Denny <laughs> Mike, and Nate, and a big cough after that. And there you have it. See you next time. Hey, kids. We're here today with Matt and Ben from Gravity Leadership. They've just written a new book. And today, of all days, it's super, it's super exciting because it is International Podcast Day. Today, the day that we're recording really? this. Yes, where middle-aged men <laughs> everywhere rejoice that there is now a platform yeah. to make sure the world knows what we're thinking about. And so, hallelujah, <laughs> Matt and Ben, hello. Great to see you guys. Hey. 
Speaking of middle yes. aged men. Well, I mean, I think yeah. I think I'm probably the middle agedest of all of us, right? You guys are <laughs> you guys are you guys Maybe. are late thirties, correct? Mm, yeah, okay, yeah, perfect. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. Perfect. <clears throat> yeah. Not actually. I just turned forty seven, Mike. I don't know how old I you am, are. I am I am much younger than that. Okay, if time yeah, works backwards. Maybe I'm the middle aged. <laughs> but, Very good. So I don't even know what that means. That's heavy. And Ben Sternke yeah. uh, have just written a book, "Having the Mind of Christ," and um, which is a wonderful, wonderful title. And I spent the week reading it. But I, I've known these uh, two gentlemen. They they uh, host Gravity Leadership Podcast, but it's bigger than that, right? It's not just a podcast. Right? It's a thing. Yeah. Right. It's kind of a, we, we do a lot of coaching, training uh, for Christians and Christian leaders um, in terms of like uh, a practical spirituality that helps uh, root our lives in the love of God and lead from that place. So yeah, that's uh, the podcast supports that. That's kind yeah. of our main work. So. And, and the book yeah. seems like it, it's kind of coming out as a example or synopsis or extension of that, that work. And it's interesting, you both kind of mm -hmm. begin with your stories. And I'd love to start there a little bit because, you know, in, in your own way, um, and we've spent, obviously, you, you, you guys have too, but we've spent time talking about this, wh whether you call it deconstruction or not, but it's a thing that is really happening in the world. And each of you kind of went through a journey um, that way personally. And so I'd love to kind of hear from each of you, if you would, just a little bit about your, your story. Um, and then I'd love to hear kind of how that led you to some of the, some of the stuff you're doing today. So, uh, either one of you go ahead and, and start yeah. us off. <clears throat> yeah, I'll, I'll give us a start. Maybe where Ben and I, the Genesis for gravity leadership, uh, was catalyzed or was started. Uh, we worked for a parachurch ministry that, uh, this is about eight years ago now, Ben, can you believe that? Jeez. Time warp since then. Dude, Ben Man. is eating some um, string cheese and it is amazing. Yeah, I'm sorry guys. I'm having some lunch. I'm oh, trying to oh, make it. No, no. Well, bro, this is bro. lunchtime. As okay. we Fine. nourish right. others, so we are nourished. All right, yeah. I'll, ta I'll take I'll take it from here, Ben. I got so, it. So Matt, Matt, you're just telling your story and you just I'm relax. nourished by your story, and just then string. I'm also being nourished by the string cheese. <laughs> yeah, string that cheese. I got some carrots and hummus. Oh, look how we worked uh today. We worked for a um kind of an, an, a parachurch ministry that uh, was pretty traumatic for both of us. Mm. Um, the, the ministry kind of folded. The leader was um, doing some shenanigans. Kind of, we didn't have the language at the time. Uh, this is eight years ago, but now we would uh, all identify this as kind of the standard narcissistic mm. playbook of, you know, somebody who's unable to be wrong, who has a reality distortion field around him, has to blame other people for things. Coming out of that was it was it, it was uh not just metaphorically traumatic but like uh you know diagnosed with some trauma it was really mm -hmm. difficult and it, there was this choice mike like um we kind of reached what we thought was the epicenter of what god was doing in mm -hmm. north america and at the at the center of it it was rotten mm -hmm. and it was uh, i don't know devastating yeah. i think yeah. personally um and uh, financially in all oh, other man. ways too and so it was like we had to we had a real legitimate crisis existential crisis like do we just eschew this mm -hmm. and scrap it you know uh or do we go back to do we try to reclaim something uh from the from the ashes from the rubble of kind of what um we thought we were doing thought we were building 
And so gravity comes out of having to go, what was missing here? Why did this happen? You know, I mean, we can say things and we throw around phrases like, you know, all of us are, uh, uh, you know, all of us are uh, deserve hell or all of us are totally depraved and there's no good in us at all. And we're all sinners, you know, saved by grace and being a Christian doesn't make you a better person. But at some point, right, if we're supposed to be known by our love, shouldn't being a Christian make you a better person? <laughs> like, sh like, shouldn't it actually do that work? You'd think. Um, it, it actually, it, the New Testament seems to presume right, that it will, right. uh, and the early church seemed to presume that it will. So, why why aren't we better people? Was the question that animated us Boy, that's a great to then question. create, especially in the right, midst of all the activity that we're invited into that supposedly makes us better, and we realize it it actually actually doesn't. Yes. Yeah. Being busy right. doesn't make you better, and so we. Um, so anyway, then, so that, that was sort of then like the, I don't know, it was either this or like burn the, mm -hmm. it would kind of just burn the canoe mm -hmm. moment, you know, like we're going to, we're going to go back and try to, what do we miss? What have we missed about Jesus and about the mm -hmm. kingdom of God that has led us to become kind of, uh, you know, class A jerks. Yeah. Mm. And, 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 yeah. and so gravity became an expression of asking that question with other people but then how did yeah. <clears throat> did the church where did the church enter in did, did the church become an expression of the podcast or the podcast an expression of the church yeah i'll share this ben and then you can jump in the podcast came about because i was tired of writing <laughs> like, like literally yeah. that's how strategic yeah. it was uh i just was tired of writing and i also felt like there was a whole group of people that wouldn't read a blog post, but that listen, yeah. you know, listen to Vox or listen to other podcasts and, and would, we could introduce ourselves to them. Also too, I don't know, Mike, if you, or Tim, if you've had this experience, when you meet people who listen to your podcast, they feel like they know yeah. you. Yeah. There's an like intimacy to this yeah. medium that you don't get when you're reading usually something on a screen That's on a, a laptop. Point. And so yeah. it was the intimacy and also just the market that led us to start mm -hmm. the podcast. But Ben, you want to talk a little bit about the church? Yeah. Yeah. So gravity started before the podcast started um, and the church started before mm. the podcast started. Um, we, we, you know, coming out of this um, season that Matt talked about, um, we did decide that we wanted to kind of work on reclaiming something and we knew it had to do with love. We knew, you know, that the New Testament seems to focus on this so much. Um, and so we, we wanted to get particular about it and, and um, specific about it and, and to say, what, what does it look like to become more loving? Like, is that just a, a nice idea or is it a, you know, is it a feeling or, you know, can, are there concrete ways of sort of uh, looking at that and, and actually cultivating that um, in a community. So mm -hmm. anyway, that was the, what was what animated uh, gravity. And so we, we began to work with um, some, some people uh, Matt had moved. We'd, we'd lived in the same town for a little while. While you were but, doing the parachurch thing. Uh, yeah. While we were doing the parachurch thing. And then Matt uh, moved before we did, but before my family did. And so we, for a season, we were kind of uh, working at in separate mm -hmm. parts of the country. And, um, but I think qu pretty quickly realized that a lot of what we were doing with other leaders through gravity, we desperately wanted to have that rooted in an actual local yeah, yep. community where yeah. we were working this out. And it wasn't just theory that. or, you know what I mean? Like it had to be, 
a practice for us as well. And so, so, um, quickly realized that if we're going to keep, if we're going to keep doing gravity, we, we probably need to like plant a church or, you know, do, do a start a community where this, this is kind of the animating focus of this, of this community is, is to say, let's take love seriously. Let's, uh, disciple people into practices that cultivate love in a community. Um, let's, let's have really concrete ways of knowing what that looks like. And so, um, after my son was going through his senior year of high school, where we were, where we lived. And so that's, that's one of the reasons we stayed yeah. uh, behind. Uh, but th- yeah, eventually discerned this call to, to plant something together. And so we, we planted, uh, the table mm, is our church uh, here in Indianapolis. And, um, we, we started that in, we started having meetings around it in 2015 when I, when my yeah. family moved. What uh, were some of the, so yeah, so they, they've all kind of developed together. It. No, and that's so smart. What were some of the pre-commitments you guys had about doing a church coming out of that sort of tragic situation you just left? How did that shape then the kind of church you wanted to be a part of? Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things about being a white, uh, straight man who's a Christian in the U.S. is that the winds of power are always at your back. And so I think when um, one of the things that we wanted to do was to take the cultural and positional power seriously that we hold and, and did mistrust the ways we've been formed and shaped to wield that power, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, because, because we think that love is actually the power that animates the kingdom. And we were, uh, we had been, uh, our eyes have been opened just enough to see that we are infants mm. in learning how power, how love gets things mm. done. And so we organized uh, co-pastoring so that we would, nobody, nobody's the, you know, head honcho, Pope. It's like, you know, Ben and I, and then we added a third uh, Spencer co-lead our mm. church with us. A trinity, um, a trinity, a lot if of, you will. Sure. You know, yeah. L- less dancing <laughs> than the one, the famous trinity, but still. There's a lot of interpenetration, right, Ben? Divine nature, well, so. Um, so we, so I mean, we wanted to organize in a way that took yeah. um, the need for mutual dependence and uh, mutual submissions mm-hmm. seriously. Like, if we don't structure for this, it won't happen. Yeah. And so that's one of the con- that's one of the commitments we made. Ben, can you think of others? Yeah, we didn't want to be a non-denominational church either. Um, that was another part of it is having some sort of wider uh, tradition great. and authority that we were mm. part of and submitted to um, was an important thing for us. That's been a complicated journey yeah. for us, but yeah. um, fundamentally knew that we didn't want to sort of be the, the top of the pile uh, ourselves. We wanted to submit to the wisdom of uh, tradition and outside mm-hmm. authority. And so that, that was another way that we, I think, organized ourselves. We, um, <clears throat> one of the other things I can uh, think of is that we we didn't start with a church service. Mm. Um, we started with cultivating community and kind of doing discipleship together and saying like, what does it look like for us to learn how to love one another? Um, and let's let that inform how we learn to worship together yeah. um, and all that kind of thing. So definitely tradition and traditional church practices inform yeah. that as well. Um, and so we, we do have a, a very, <laughs> it's a very traditional um church service that's sacramental mm-hmm. liturgical uh, church service and so it um 
you know, we didn't try to reinvent the wheel in that case, but I think but that's a good uh, thing. it was important for us to, yeah, yeah. I think the, the, the important thing was that we began with uh, discipleship and sort of that process of discipleship that also forms the basis of kind of what we take leaders through in gravity. It does form the, the basis of how our community functions together. And so if you want to be a leader in our community, like this is kind of the 101, like you, you got to learn how to relate to the community in this way. Um, this is how we share power. This is how we discern what God is doing in our midst. Um, you know, we don't we don't trust that to be, you know, even even in a, a trinity, if you will, of leaders, we don't trust that God's will is known by those three people alone. We we trust that God's will is known in the community, um, and so we've we've got we had to establish some practices so that because I've seen that go bad oh, as man. well, oh. where like nobody yeah. wants to lead, nobody wants to take responsibility to lead, and so yeah. it ends up being. Uh, kind of the um, democracy of the most anxious person, you know, <laughs> the most anxious person wins uh, totally. and gets to decide everything that happens because nobody else oh, wants to take any yeah, responsibility. So, so anyway, so there's there's a set of practices that, again, we train people in gravity uh, for these practices, but it's also a, a really key part of how we are a church community yeah. together. How do you make love concrete? I mean, sharing power, I mean, that uh, that's a great example of that. But I'm also just mm-hmm. wondering... Um, I, I think, you know, that's language that we have all heard, grown up in, I'm sure, um, as narcissists yeah. and with narcissists, they'd all say the same thing. So how do you, sure. how do you, how did you guys come out of that really painful personally and professionally environment? You realized, okay, well, that's the animating force of the kingdom, but how do we, mm-hmm. how do we make that a concrete thing? And yeah. uh, obviously, I mean, the co-pastoring, I love the being part of a tradition, totally get that. But are there other ways that you uh, intentionally go after that? Because <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm not sure yeah, it's, I think one of us take that seriously. We all would agree. Mm, yeah, that's, no. yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly it. And that, that there's a significant portions of the book uh, that you mentioned earlier are mm-hmm. about this. Um, so I think I'd say one one artifact um, that's been important in terms of making love concrete is learning to be really sensitive to when I am trying to use some sort of coercive power to manipulate or get my way. Even if even if my way, I'm pretty convinced is is good. It's going to be best for everybody if we just do it my way. If we just do it this way, you know, I'm not like being a like a jerk. But there's there's you know things that are important yeah. to me, and so I, you know, like I feel like it should be done this way. So one of the things that's been important for me and and the people that I'm sort of discipling is learning how to discern what that feels like in my body when I am when I am angling for something when I'm trying to get some sort of need met and I think love doesn't coerce I mean I read that somewhere And so yeah love doesn't coerce and so I have to reckon with my own desires in that moment then so one of the things i think about making love concrete is it it doesn't coerce instead it owns and names what is desired and holds that vulnerably to Mm. the other person or the community and says well here's what i want i don't know why i want it um but this is what it this is what Mm. occurs to me as what might be the best solution um and you know this matters to me for some yeah. reason, you know? So that, that's one thing that occurs to me is that I think one way that I've seen love, you know, be concrete in, in my own life is when I can find my yeah. way into that <laughs> posture, yeah. rather than sort of trying to manipulate or coerce. Boy. Boy. Yeah. 
Other things we're, come to mind for you, Matt? Yeah, we're 15 minutes into this, so let me do the first Jesus juke. Whoa. That I think we we learned this. <laughs> didn't see that coming, did you? We we learned this from Jesus, right? So there's there, so at some point, if God is love and Jesus reveals God to us, then Jesus is never doing anything that is not loving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, what what is the operational intelligence that Jesus lives in, abides in, embodies, and how do we mine that out? How do we learn from that? Right. So what 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 Ben is talking about. Uh, you know, Jesus's fundamental discipleship question is, what do you want? What are you seeking? And he he gets so excited, not when people are smart, not when people are good. He gets excited when people will own what they want and name it to him. So there's, there's a reckoning of desire that that is fundamental in learning how to love that we see Jesus embody right mm-hmm. uh but also invite other people into because when people are able to own and face what they want and hold it before jesus then that then there's a place of uh then there's an altar mm-hmm. call there like there, there's an actual salvation moment right uh, a kairos a, a portal opens up into the kingdom yeah. and people can decide if they want to get out of a tree or if they want to go away sad you know there's just this moment this, this moment of mm-hmm. of reckoning mm-hmm. so uh so for us then watching jesus what is his how does he love how is he able to walk, for instance, into a really highly contentious, violent situation and ride in the sand right. and ask questions <laughs> and, and empower, stand with uh, uh, a marginalized person and love the people with the rocks and love her? Like, yeah. How does that happen? <laughs> Man, yeah, that is so, so good. So, the, so one answer... Uh, that I'm hearing from the two of you and I see expressed in the book is that the the path to sort of becoming that kind of person doesn't start by just a lot of effort or even engaging in the classic spiritual discipline sort of in an untrained, unintentional kind of way. It starts with having mm-hmm. the mind of Christ, which is this really, you know, kind of conceptual, abstract invitation that Paul invites us into and, yeah. and and again it's like love mm-hmm. one another we're like oh well yeah of course but but what does that mean exactly and and how did you guys see that as a missing element on the journey towards becoming that kind of love yeah well i think w- one of the one of the ways to answer that is that um we just noticed that practices in and of themselves were insufficient because some of the some of the people who you know, I mean, you see this in the Gospels mm-hmm. as well, right? The the the, the people who were the the most um, caustic opponents of Jesus were the people who ostensibly, you know, practiced the disciplines really well. They fasted yeah. twice a week. They tied their mint and their dill. They observed the Sabbath. You know, all the all this stuff that's uh, supposed to lead you into yeah. life was yeah. not. You know? So you see this in the Gospels, and you see this in everyday life. Yeah. You know, some of the some of the people who've attended church their whole life that it doesn't seem yeah. to be yeah. <laughs> making yeah, them more loving. Sure. So yeah. we were we were trying to and so that's one thing is the insufficiency of practices. But then also realizing that to go back to my example about coercion, if I realize that I am trying to get my way, you know, I I actually need I need a different vision of reality that empowers me to lay down what I want. I can't just lay it down because it's the right mm-hmm. thing to do. 
because the reason I'm not laying it down is because I have a vision of what reality is like or what God is like or what life in the kingdom is like or who I am or like I have this vision that makes me think that this is the only option. Mm-hmm. And so this is where some of the axioms then in the book uh, came from is it, it's an invitation into like putting on a new lens, putting on some new glasses that say, well, what if God was just present and working in the midst of my anxiety about this situation? What if I don't need to get rid of my anxiety by making sure that this other person chooses the right thing that I want them to choose? And then God can be at work in their life. What if God's at work in their life, even if we make the wrong choice here? What if God's present? You know, what if nothing is threatening that? And so those uh, kinds of things, a, a change in paradigm is oftentimes what we need to empower um, an actual, as Matt was saying earlier, an actual like entry into the kingdom, entry into participating in this life that God shares with us is this sort of playful, curious, well, I wonder if it was, if, if it'd be true that maybe God's just like Jesus and I don't need to worry about getting punished, you know, or maybe God's present and at work in the midst of my anxiety about this and I can lay down what I want or I can just be honest about it yeah. and trust that I'll be taken care of and, and we can discern together what the, what the Spirit is up to. How do paradigms um, intersect with... Wait, can I ask a follow-up Oh, heck that? yeah, Tim. Before, before, you before, before you ask a follow-up, <clears throat> we're talking about making love a priority. I, I just want to say officially... Tim is excellent at making love out of nothing at all. And I just want to throw that out there. Go ahead, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) That's helpful. Um, I I think that's really interesting. And and so we have a lot of listeners who have left the church altogether and are struggling to find kind of hope in the model itself going forward, Mm -hmm. whether or not they... You know, and that obviously that varies through quite a quite a few different postures. But when you're talking about the manipulative thing, I think that's really interesting, and I think that's obviously a huge problem. And you guys saw that from what it sounds like in the previous church experience that you had. With that recognition, like everything you just said, are you is that is that like a common understanding between the three leaders? Is that mm-hmm. something in your marriage? Like who? How do you? How do you? Like. What 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 does the accountability to that look like? Because I think that's a fascinating way to build accountability or or reproach yeah. within a church setting to make sure that and 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 is there on top of that how how is how are you held accountable to that? How is that seen? Is it just on you? And then hmm. um, is that transparency seen by the by the body itself also? Like is this hmm. is there a big separation between the three of you guys and the rest of the people in the pews or? What does that look like? Yeah, I, uh, Tim, I think uh, we're Ben is describing a process that we actually have broken down into discrete practices and and processes, so that we we actually train people in a process of doing this. Gotcha. So our discipleship is paying attention to your life because that's where God's present at work, tending to things that either um, reveal the kingdom coming or things that reveal the kingdom hasn't come. So something you experience, like the fruit of the spirit, right? There'll be more of that in new creation. Or uh, you're angry or anxious or afraid, right? That'll be that'll be gone in new creation. And let's just trust that God's present and at work there because you can perceive it. Yeah. That's grace. Like if you notice that you're a, a J-hole, that's grace. 
because how many people don't notice that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's grace. So let's tend to that and, and mine out what God has for you there. Right. And so that's a process of discerning the kingdom, proclaiming good news. And then how are you going to offer your body as a living sacrifice in view of that mercy? And it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to fix it. All you got to do is take one step, one step of faith, one concrete, tangible step of faith. And there's a process over and over and over of just responding to the spirit, tending what God's doing, doing it in community. And it develops, we develop a syntax, a language, uh, a social architecture where we have language where people can name things, right? So instead of like me just getting angry at Ben and firing off at him, I can say, Ben, I'm having a Kairos right now. I'm really angry. And so then I don't have to trust my anger because I know, I know that like uh, when I fire at Ben in anger, it hasn't done good work. I can tell the truth about myself, which by the way is love. Mm. And I can submit it to Ben and he can help. We can discern it together. Right. And we, so we, we train in these little areas all around our church to have that kind of way about us uh, as just part of our culture. It's part of mm. our, who we are. Yeah, so so there is the, it's it's not just you know the three of us pastors and then we sort of deliver the discernment from on high like right. we do invite the church into this stuff and it, there is a there is a mutuality required here right so you know Matt Matt could say hey I'm feeling really angry but I'm you know maybe I'm not even I'm not willing to sort of entertain that because that feels too shameful or indictful for me threatening yeah. you know what I mean and so that's the point at which. Uh, the 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 whole process feels i mean it's not a great way to control anybody or you know build build a thing like from an engineering standpoint um but it, there are practices where we can invite one another into this and we don't practice it perfectly you know obviously like we you know we mess up but i think there's enough um there's enough of these artifacts in our culture that that it's it normally these situations very quickly get called back into this kind of arena where you say, okay, I, let me, let me process what's going on here. Let me, let me think about what's actually happening. And so, you know, that this is, you know, an artifact of our community. Um, and so this, we, we, we try to make this true for our whole lives, you know? Yeah. And so marriages, you know, relationships with kids, like where, all of it. Where does it fall short? <clears throat> Are there repeated places or, um, mm. um, obstacles where you're continually going oh my goodness like yes yes yeah that's all i'd love to yes. hear i'd love to hear yeah. how that works out too so yeah so mike i think uh to love is to be vulnerable on. it's one of the main reasons that we don't love is because it we Boy, can get man. hurt hurt worse than if we that's weren't right. loving right um and so one of the ways this doesn't work I'm still learning how to bear my power and authority as a as a leader of our community in a way that's good for me and for mm. others. So one of the one of the things of uh, one of the places I'm developing wisdom in is what um, I know this with a child, right? There are certain things a seven year old can bear emotionally, relationally, intellectually, and there's certain things they cannot. Yeah. And so it's not good for me to sit down with my seven year old and give them a thirty minute speech about the difficulty that his mom and I are having. Uh, in our marriage, right? We, yeah. we like we yep. know that, right? Yeah. And and I hate to use because it can sound condescending or paternalistic, but there are similar dynamics happening in a local church, yeah. where a pastor, you know, be real and transparent and authentic, but but because there's power dynamics at work, and because ultimately you have say so 
in people's lives for things they don't give consent to. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That y- there needs to be a discernment on what is loving for this person in their location with what they're dealing with mm-hmm. versus what's loving with totally. between Ben and I. And it'll look different, oh, yeah. I think. So, mm-hmm. so that's one of the things I need to develop wisdom on is how do I remain honest, truthful, authentic, but but not do things that weigh down, quote, the seven-year-old in yep. ways that aren't helpful for them yeah. or could yeah. even be harmful, right? Yeah. yeah. Sim- similarly, I think one, one other thing that, um, that I found interesting about this process is that it can, if there's a lack of trust, right. like this is part of the discernment, is how much trust is here how much you know how, you know how much can this relationship bear but also like even even among mature people how much trust is here because for me to for me to ask you to name for me hey what's your kairos in the midst of this that's inherently vulnerable and if there's not a certain level of that's trust right. there for me to ask that question can feel to the other person manipulative, manipulative. it can feel manipulative it can feel coercive it can feel, you know, almost like I'm not taking responsibility for my part of something if I'm just asking you to name something and now we're going to, like, there's something wrong with you. So these have been, like, surprising for me. They've been surprising to be like, oh, I, nev- I never would have thought about that as a, as a pitfall here, but I can understand yeah. it now. And so these, these are some of the, I mean, this is, like Matt said, we're seeking wisdom and in, in, in how to learn to live this way because we really do think this is, you know, a loving way to live yeah. with one another. But you're also dealing with, you know, people's past traumas, their past relationships. And if this reminds them of some, another relationship where they were harmed, like you just have to be sensitive to it and, you know, maybe not do the same thing with everybody. So yeah, for sure. What's the relationship between building a paradigm? So, so the idea that, that love is the fuel of the kingdom where that God is love, let's say, where that God is like Jesus. Yeah. Um, I don't just flip a switch and believe that. Right. So right. so if actions are kind of insufficient, but also just willing to believe, um, yeah. how does that how does that interplay work? How would you describe the interplay yeah. between yeah. what I'm what I what I think I think versus what I really think and, and trying to get at what mm. I really think and change so that I'm putting on new lenses? Yeah. Yeah. So this is tricky, Mm -hmm. man, because we're talking about like subterranean beliefs, things that live in our bones versus things that we're consciously assenting to every second of the day. Right. Uh, And we so we're trading. So we're doing a Zoom interview here and all of us are living according to social arrangements we've all agreed to that we're not even conscious of. Yep. Yeah. Right. And there's, I don't know, there's probably dozens of them, Mike, we could name that are just little artifacts of the social architecture of the thing we've agreed to do here. That's the level of kind of belief we're talking about, because that's where we live from. That's the stuff that just comes out of us. It's uh, not even even discussed. It's just assumed. Right. Right. So one of the, one of the axioms we talk about in the book is that God cares about all of it more than we do. And so one of the things that we want to keep coming back to is this isn't our project. We don't have to fix this, but if God is true and God is real and he's just like Jesus and he cares about it more than us, then all we need to do is become more mindfully present in our very lives and God is at work there doing it. Mm 
So there's kind of this holding on with an open handedness of God is God is actually discipling me. And I want to be about what he's about. Yeah. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, our bodies, uh, meaning like our actual yeah. fleshly bodies, are the undiscovered country that's of so discipleship. Good. It's we we are you know our our philosophical tradition, meaning kind of the Western white tradition. We are so mm. ignorant about the knowledge and wisdom and life of the body, um, you know. And so one of the one of the things that we one of the things that I believe is, and I think I heard Richard Rohr say this the first time, but we don't we don't think ourselves into new into new paradigms, but we actually live ourselves into new paradigms. We actually we actually experiment with trusting something different, and it gets it actually gets into our bones yeah. that way. We live our ways into new ways of thinking. Another way to and say that's that. and that's a great um, you model that well in the book by having practices after each sort of lens yeah. that you present that are yeah. that are embodying that that approach yeah yeah and I, I think this is a logic of like Philippians 1 7 through 9 the logic of Romans 12 1 through 2 like there's there's this discerning what's good pleasing and perfect but it's after you offer your body so so the you got to offer your body yes. in order to have the mind of Christ yes you know yes which is so interesting because we hear mind of Christ and it and it's just a conceptual ethereal world of abstract ideas and what you're saying mm -hmm. is having the mind of christ is seeing the world the way jesus does in embodied practice yeah. Yeah. yes and the and the way to, to to double click on that the way that we do that is through these so it, it's not practice as an engineering project to fix mm -hmm. me up it's practice as um tentative experimental uh, trying things yeah. out like, okay, if God was present and at work, uh, what, what would that change about how I respond to this? Well, let me just try that. Let me just try yeah. a little step of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to my, uh, kid and give them no advice. I'm going to give them no advice just in this one conversation, <laughs> yeah. just as an experiment to see if that helps, you know, um, because I'm just trusting that God's at present and at work in their life and that yeah. they don't need me to speak into this right now. But that's just one example of, like the kind of practices that we're talking about, they might be spiritual disciplines, you know, yeah. um, here and there, but it's, it's these discrete, like concrete, specific, small, sometimes moments where yeah. we're trying on the lens and that, that sort of that temporary, like, I wonder what it would be like if that kind of attitude, I think really helps us enter into these practices more mm -hmm. playfully and more like mm -hmm. experimentally just to be like, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's true, but let's see. Let's see what happens if I try like yeah. if I try this. Yeah. yeah. Um, One of the the most interesting chapter um, for me personally was love reckons with power, and love always mm -hmm. reckons with power, and you guys embody mm. that in your language and the way that you've structured your church community. We haven't discussed it, but I'm sure in the way that you lead gravity, um, at the same way. Um, can you make a case for that? Because I, I think what um, I mean, I buy it completely, but but so so much of the deconstruction journey is the reckoning with the misuse of power. Uh, yes. You guys experienced it. We've we've all experienced the misuse of of power. So sure. so when we say love yeah. always reckons with power, okay. Well, how does that flesh out in the life of Jesus in the early church? 
what's the theological? Just because I think there are some who would go, eh, the whole justice thing. I mean, that's 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 if we yeah. get to it, kind of stuff. That's not gospel stuff. That's not central stuff. So I'm fishing mm-hmm. for kind of how you'd respond to that sort of posture. Yeah. Uh, this this axiom actually all these axiom emerged through discipling people on the ground and we realized we were talking past each other mm-hmm. and that we had different assumptions than the person we were working with mm-hmm. and so we had to name this assumption pull it out so that we could try to transfer it and so this axiom that you're mentioning mike is we added this in the writing of the book like this this emerged as yeah. we wrote the book um mm-hmm. I, I think uh we we have a tool uh, that we use an XY axis when we talk about love that'll be at the subject of the next book. And we consistently, uh, when we would teach this tool to people like us, uh, white Western Christians, they loved it. When we taught the tool to um, women or uh, non-white people or people who weren't from the West, they regularly reflected back to us that loved worked differently for them, that they did, this didn't help them. Wow. And so that was a yeah, Kairos no for us, Mike, right? Like, did we just create a colonial tool for like powerful yeah. white dudes or, or is this something that it, so what do we have to learn here? So for, for me then, Jesus juke went back to the gospels <laughs> and I noticed how, I noticed how Jesus um, would say, Martha, Martha, or you whitewashed mm-hmm. tomb or get behind me, Satan or nothing. And in all those instances, if they actually are love, like what, how do we understand this? How do we understand a coherent understanding of what love lives like when sometimes you're calling people a brood of vipers and so you're right. And sometimes you're blessing people to go and sin no more. Um, And so I think it was then beginning to reckon like decolonize our own understanding of, of what's going on in the scriptures. So Jesus is a colonial, he's colonized Jew. Mm-hmm. He's, and he's a colonized Jew who's um, his own people are prejudiced against because he because of where he's from. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. So he's he's he know, and he's poor, yeah. dirt poor. So he knows what it means to be on the underside of culture power, but he's also a man, right? And he's also a teacher that has massive massive honor that gets accrued to him, and he he and he um, accumulates. And so he's got this interesting relationship, where in some of his identities we could even call this. Uh, intersectionality. What? Intersectionality. What? <laughs> in, in some of his, uh, yeah, uh, the dozens of people listening right. have just tuned out. The, we refer uh, to our listener. No. So, yeah. Listen, yeah. Okay, listener. great. Well, stay stay with me, dear listener. Um, <laughs> if you haven't thrown your phone across the room. Uh, some, of, some of the ways that uh, culture uh, pr- uh, scripts onto Jesus, he is powerless. Mm-hmm. And some of the ways that culture scripts onto Jesus, he has more power than anybody else. And this is one of the reasons why the religious leaders got so pissed at him is because somebody who's that poor and from that part of the play, part of the area with that kind of family pedigree should not have this much power. He was transgressing sort of a cultural mm-hmm. norm, right? Um, and so I think just noticing how Jesus used in every situation, he is reckoning with who has power how do i redistribute this power and how do i redefine as i redistribute what power is and what it does Mm -hmm. and those three things recognizing who has power redistributing power and then redefining power as i redistribute it 
is 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 what love does it's what love does so for me it was just uh what like watching jesus operate in love and power in ways that were at first baffling to me why are you doing something totally different here than you did elsewhere but then if i start thinking about the people involved and how power is at work in their lives then it begins to make more sense to me mike it's more coherent it actually there's a logic in what jesus is doing and that changed everything for me that's really good gentlemen i'm grateful for your time today um i never i always when we talk about books i never want to talk too much about the book uh because you know i think it's worth reading and and digesting and kind of savoring some of the info but how would people mm. kind of get in touch with the gravity leadership stuff where would they go for that or to find out more about the table yeah so for gravity leadership gravityleadership.com um and you know we're on the social media oh yes you things are. um <laughs> instagram and uh and such um so yeah that's probably the easiest way uh to get in to kind of check us out yeah. and see where we're at and the the church is um the website is just the table indie.org the table indie.org so and the book is having the mind of christ eight axioms to cultivate a robust faith written kind of with the heart of and the the experience of of people who've deconstructed um and then mm -hmm. kind of built rebuilt um, renewed or reconstructed on a uh, really solid emphasis on the idea of love as the currency of the kingdom. Um, and so, man, highly recommend it, guys. Thanks for your time today. You're the best. God bless you both. Let's carry on. Yeah. Bless you guys. Mike, Thanks, Mike. Tim. Great yeah, to be with you. Thank you, oh. guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us